Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, uh, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. We've reached the conference finals in the WHL and the OHL. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is almost there. We're halfway through the Clark Cup final in the USHL and the four-team Thunderdome that is the Robertson Cup final. That gets going this weekend as well, plus a little college hockey news. And the Centennial Cup is underway to crown a Junior A champion in Canada. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. Hope you're enjoying uh, the weekend. Looking forward to this weekend. Lots of exciting hockey action. I know a lot of attention in my neck of the woods is on the Battle of Alberta at the NHL level, the Oilers and the Calgary Flames. But that's not what this show is all about. By the way, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky with two locations, one in Spruce Grove, one, the original, in Leduc. It's absolutely the best jerky you've ever had. I was able to stop by in uh, Leduc and uh, had a uh, nice sit-down with uh, Trent Wilhock. Talked about uh, a lot of stuff and uh, picked up a new batch of beef jerky, which is almost gone. A couple of pounds almost gone already. I was going to say it goes like hotcakes around my house, but it goes like Wilhock beef jerky around my house. That's what it does. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. It's spelled W-I-L-H-A-U-K beefjerky.com. On Thursday, the WHL held their annual... uh, what used to be called the Bantam Draft, now just called the uh, WHL Draft. Gavin McKenna, the number one overall pick taken by the Medicine Hat Tigers. But the big story of the day, and uh, it's getting a lot of headlines, and rightly so, the Vancouver Giants in the 13th round selecting Chloe Primerano from the Burnaby Winter Club, and she becomes the first ever player drafted into the WHL, first ever skater drafted into the Canadian Hockey League. There have been, what, I want to say four or five girls now who have played or been uh, part of a CHL team, but they've all been goalies. So this is definitely a uh, landmark development here, and a kudos to the Vancouver Giants for doing it. Awesome for Chloe to be that player. Now, I cannot say that I've seen her play. I have no idea how good she is. I don't watch uh, the Bantams. Once they get to the WHL, that's when they start getting on my radar. All I know about her is uh, she's listed at 5'8 and 135 pounds, something like that, which, you know, take uh, her gender out of it, a 5'8 defenseman at 135 pounds, and your first thought is probably, whoa, that is pretty small. Uh, we're talking 14, 15-year-olds in the Bantam draft. 
And while she's not a guy, she might not stay 5'8 and 134 pounds. And even if she does, I go back to, I mean, there's been lots of small players. Chris Russell was 5'9, 5'10 maybe, and like 145 pounds midway through his NHL draft season uh, when he was a member of the Medicine Hat Tigers. And that would have been a couple of years into his WHL career. So let's not let the, that size immediately disqualify her. Let's see how she does. Let's let's support it. Let's cheer for it. Let's hope it happens. That would be such a great story. The other aspect is to think, well, probably has lots of NCAA opportunities. So she's going to have big choices ahead of her. But I, I hope she goes to uh, some camps and she'll be able to figure out if uh, she's up to playing in the Western Hockey League or maybe she'll end up going the college route. A lot of players do that. But I think it's an easy story to get behind it and uh, cheer for, for sure. All right, as for what we're going to see on the ice, starting tonight, both conference finals get underway. The Seattle Thunderbirds are in Kamloops to take on the Blazers, and Edmonton is in Winnipeg to start their series against the Winnipeg Ice. I ran a poll a few days ago and asked the audience, who do you think will meet in the WHL finals? The uh, four combinations, the possible ones, Kamloops, against Winnipeg, Kamloops against Edmonton, Seattle against Winnipeg, or Seattle against Edmonton. And uh, over 50% of the respondents picked Kamloops and Edmonton. Now, I'm located in Edmonton, so you can expect there's probably some uh, regional bias with that. But the second choice was Seattle against Edmonton. So, do the Oil Kings go into this series? Even though they're starting on the road and going up against the number one team in the WHL, are they the favorites? Here's what I think is the difference in this series. Winnipeg is really good at home. However, the Oil Kings did beat them in Winnipeg. Winnipeg has a terrific goaltender in Daniel Hauser. Undrafted, 5'11", 160 pounds. He's very good. He's not Sebastian Kosa. He's a first-round pick. I, I think if you're putting the, the doing the tail of the tape between Hauser and Kosa, everybody, I would think, it would be unanimous, Kosa is the better goaltender. Winnipeg has a strong blue line, uh, highlighted by Carson Lambos. First-round pick of the Minnesota Wild, member of Team Canada at the World Junior Championship. Very, very good defenseman. He's not Caden Gooley. Caden Gooley is probably the best defenseman in the WHL, and arguably in the CHL. And I would argue that Edmonton, with guys like Luke Prokop and Simon Kubitschek, and I would clue, include a Logan Dowhanek in that mix as well, I think their top four is, is better than Winnipeg's top four on the blue line. Now, you know the Ice have lots of skill and talent up front, no question about that, and it's not just Matthew Savoy, and it's not just Connor Geeky. Don't forget they got Connor McLennan, Jack Finley's a big body down the middle. What a season Mikey Milne's had, but are you going to tell me that's better than Dylan Gunther and Jake Neighbors and Justin Sordiff and Jakob Demick, Carter Such, Josh Williams, Jalen Lipen? I, I think Edmonton is better at every position. I will tell you, Winnipeg is really good. Zach Benson is a hell of a player. He's not draft eligible until next year. Savoy and Geeky are draft eligible this year. All the Oil Kings' upper-end talent are drafted already or undrafted, but like such, and uh, Williams in their final year. They're, they're older. Edmonton is a more mature team. I think Winnipeg is basically Edmonton two years ago, maybe even last year. I put these two teams... Side by side, I'm picking Edmonton. And that's not me being biased. That's just me balancing the scales here. I think Winnipeg is a year away from being what Edmonton is now. So I like Edmonton to win this series. And I think it's fair to say six or seven games. 
I'll, I'll be honest. I won't be stunned if it's five. They're playing two in Winnipeg, then three in Edmonton, and two back in Winnipeg if necessary. I think Edmonton could get a split. I think Edmonton could win both games in Winnipeg. They played four times this year. Winnipeg won one of those games, and that one game was when Edmonton lost all of their players, you know, a third of their roster uh, to the World Junior Championship. Winnipeg was out was without two players. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm biased, but you can tell me at TPS underscore Guy is where you find me on Twitter. In the other series, I'll take Kamloops. I think home ice advantage is is a big deal. But I also think uh, their higher-end talent has just been more explosive in the playoffs. So I'm looking uh, for a an Edmonton and Kamloops final, just like uh, most of the people who uh, voted in the poll. Uh, moving quickly, let's go to the OHL. The uh, conference finals get underway there this weekend as well. It's Windsor against Flint, Hamilton against North Bay. I do have a guest coming up on the show today who's going to preview both of those series. Uh, so I'm not going to delve into that too much. But I'll tell you right now, I'm I'm going. I, my head is telling me Windsor, but my heart is saying uh, Flint, just because I think it's the better story. Uh, and on the other side, it looks like the Hamilton Bulldogs are the team to beat. But that North Bay Battalion Club, very very capable of winning that series as well. So it should be a great couple of uh, series in the OHL for the conference finals. In the queue, we know three teams who are into the conference finals, but the Quebec Rampart and the Rimouski Oceanic. Quebec leads that series two one. They are playing game four of that best of five tonight. If it happens to go five, that will be on Sunday. But uh, through to the next round are Shawinigan, Charlottetown, and Sherbrooke. So just waiting to uh, see. We don't know exactly who's going to play who just yet. The Clark Cup in the USHL is uh, halfway through. First two games were split Madison and Sioux City as the scene now shifts uh, to the uh, backyard of the uh, Capitals. The Madcaps playing out of Wisconsin. They will host games three and four starting tonight. Actually, back-to-back tonight and tomorrow, just like Edmonton and Winnipeg playing tonight and tomorrow. If they need a fifth game, that will go on Tuesday. Have a guest who's playing in that series coming up today. I'll tell you who that is momentarily. In the North American Hockey League, the Robertson Cup, you got four teams left, and they uh, all converge into Blaine, Minnesota. The four teams are the Anchorage Wolverines, the New Mexico Ice Wolves, the New Jersey Titans, and the St. Cloud Norsemen. And they will play a uh, basically like the Memorial Cup, a little round robin, and determine the uh, semifinal matchups. Four will be down to two, and then they will crown a winner of the Robertson Cup for the North American Hockey League. And uh, one news item there that the, the Jamestown Rebels have been sold and uh, will be relocated to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So... One franchise on the move in the Null. The Centennial Cup is underway in uh, Canada. That's uh, being held in Estevan, Saskatchewan. We'll have a guest on next week to uh, talk about that tournament as it wraps up next weekend. But there are 10 teams representing the nine league champions and a host team. Actually, the host team is also the SJHL champion, the Estevan Bruins. So the Flin Bombers are also there out of the SJHL. But just started on Thursday, Pickering beat Red Lake 9-2. Flin Flon beat the Sioux Thunderbirds from the Northern Ontario Junior Hockey League. Uh, that was a 6-1 beatdown. And the Brooks Bannets, the number one ranked team in the CJHL, 5-2 winners over Long Gill. And lastly, one college hockey news, uh, to, uh, news item to pass on. The CCHA Conference has accepted Augustana as its ninth member that will be not this coming season, the season after. 
So the CCHA will expand to nine teams, and that begs the question, do you eventually go to 10? And if so, who's that 10th? Lindenwood, to me, would make some sense. But maybe there will be more conference uh, realignment over the next few years with so many new programs coming in and former programs returning to the ice. Now, my guest list. All my guests will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, another partner of the show that I was able to visit as the Oil Kings and the Rebels were playing in the second round. I was able to get down and to stop by the tap room for the first time myself. Great setup that they have there. Got to sit down with uh, Bud and Rob and uh, was able to try for the first time a new IPA, and it was delicious. The M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-A. Very citrusy. Grapefruit immediately came to, came out for me, but also a hint of orange. It was great. I loved it. So uh, brought some home with me as well. You go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. You can place an order online, and uh, there are three places that you can pick up that order. One is in Red Deer at the Troubled Monk Tap Room. If you're in Calgary, then you do it at the Calgary Farmer's Market, and if you're in Edmonton, you pick up at the Bountiful Farmer's Market, but you place your order at troubledmonk.com slash shop. All right, here's the guest list for this week's show. We will begin with that preview of the OHL Conference Finals. Brad Cogemilio, who uh, writes for Sue today, fantastic preview of the both of those series. He's going to lead the show off. Then we will have a 2022 Draft Spotlight segment. In fact, two of them back-to-back. The first is with Dylan James of the Sioux City Musketeers. He's a Canadian from Calgary, playing in the USHL and into the Clark Cup Final. From there, we will go to the uh, Swift Current Broncos outstanding defenseman, Owen Pickering. Quite possibly a first-round pick and quite possibly the best interview in the class of 2022. Really enjoyed that conversation. I think you will as well. Then we're going to hear a uh, chat I had with uh, Ron Robison, the WHL's commissioner, as he stopped by our broadcast booth uh, during round two. And uh, it's not dated. It's all stuff basically around the WHL and moving forward what this season was like, how, just how great it is to have playoffs. So sort of a, a state of the union with uh, Ron Robison, the commissioner of the WHL. And we will end things uh, with a uh, conversation I had just moments ago with Brent Sutter, the general manager of the Red Deer Rebels, putting a cap on the season that was for the Rebels and uh, also picking his brain a little bit on the uh, Eastern Conference Final. And in fact, both conference finals, he had some quick thoughts on Winnipeg versus Edmonton and Seattle against Kamloops. So an absolutely loaded show. Let's get to it. Brad Cogemilio from Sioux Today leads things off next. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, fueled by Wilhock Beef Jerky. One shot on goal for Denmark on that power play. Now McDavid back the other way. Hey, it's Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Living on a lighted stage approaches the unreal For those who think and feel In touch with some reality beyond the gilded cage WHL Playoff Hockey returns to Rogers Place. And your 2022 Edmonton Old Kings playoff passes are on sale now. For only $129 a seat, you get access to every home playoff game the Oil Kings play. And the more we play, the less you pay. Be there as NHL first-rounders Sebastian Kosa, Caden Gooley, Dylan Gunther, and the powerhouse Oil Kings chase the crowd. Edmonton Oil Kings playoff passes are on sale now. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place. All WHL playoff long starts at just $129 a seat at oilkings.ca slash playoff pass. 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. He fights like an old lady. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We're going to begin this week's episode uh, looking at the uh, OHL and get a playoff update. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Go to wilhawkbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. Uh, my next guest is in Ontario, though, so out of luck. Uh, you can get anywhere in Western Canada, you can have it shipped to you, but uh, not as far as Ontario, at least not yet. Maybe soon, Brad. Brad Cogemilio from Sue Today is my guest. Uh, welcome back to the program, Brad. How are things? Good. Things are things are good. It's always a, always a pleasure to come on and, and catch up with you, for sure. Well, I appreciate you being available. Uh, let's get to the, uh, the playoff bracket, if you will, and uh, I guess the conference finals are set, and uh, we'll get going here fairly in, in pretty short order. Uh, we got Windsor and Flint in the west and Hamilton and North Bay on the east. And you look at the regular season standings, there's not really a surprise here, is there? I mean, London was, in terms of the conference standings, higher than Flint, but only because of uh, they won their division. Uh, Flint had more points. So these are the top two teams in each conference. Uh, so really, is there a surprise here at all for you? No, I, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there was. I mean, like you said, London, you know, maybe London losing in the first round, obviously, was, uh, you know, was a, was a surprise in a, in a seven gamer with Kitchener, who is, um, you know, they, they battled hard. And, and even in round two, they gave Windsor a bit of a scare at times. But like you said, overall, I mean, these were, you know, these were the four teams that, you know, at the beginning of the, of the playoffs, I think, you know, if you were, uh, if you were a betting man, these are probably four teams that you would have would have been expecting to be where they are at this point. And, um, you know, realistically, I mean, aside from, you know, aside from some scares early for Windsor and Flint, it's been, you know, relatively smooth sailing for all four teams uh, to get into, uh, to get into round three here. All right. Well, you're the, uh, the team you cover is the Sioux Greyhounds. Uh, they met up with the Flint Firebirds in uh, round two. It was a five game series before, uh, Flint finished them off and, and moved on. Uh, now, I know as a media guy, you try to be as unbiased as, as possible, but I mean, it's the team you cover, uh, so you kind of pull for them to some degree anyway. But uh, what did you think of the way that series unfolded? Uh, I mean, on one hand, it's a great story, right? Flint's never been here before, so that's kind of the interesting story moving forward, but it's also the Greyhounds are the team you cover. So what do you think of that series? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I mean, it, it, you know, like you said, it's always kind of one of those things when you cover a uh, when you cover a team on a regular basis, it's, you know, it, it's always fun to see them go deep and, and, and cover. I mean, I, you know, I look back to some of the grounds playoff runs, like in 2018 when they got to the league final and, you know, those are, those are fun to cover and, mm-hmm. you know, the excitement in the building, uh, you know, I, and I expect the excitement in both, you know, Windsor and Flint and Hamilton and North Bay to be, you know, very high, but, you know, as far as that Flint Sioux series, um, you know, the first three games, I kind of think, you know, for the most part, played out as expected. They were, you know, they were very tight. Uh, the first two games in Flint were were close games, and and Luke Cavlin was, you know, was extremely good in both games. He he faced, I believe, it was fifty eight shots in game one and fifty five more in game uh, in game two. Gave up three goals in each, but uh, you know, he was absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, so Flint takes the opening two. Um, you know, then the grounds come back in, in game three. Good effort at home. Um, you know, and, and in a game that they felt they could have been even better. Um, you know, the difference maker in that series was game four. Um, you know, it, it, that game ends up going into overtime, and, and Brandon Offman, who's a New York Rangers pick, ends up, you know, getting the winner on, you know, what was almost a, 
you know, a bit of a, a, a fluky goal. A shot comes from the left point and gets blocked pretty clean in, in the face-off circle. But, you know, kind of the, the hockey gods playing, uh, you know, playing a role in that one. And it bounces right on a Brendan Offman stick in the right face-off circle. And he's got a wide open net for the overtime winner. And, you know, that's kind of, I think, where the series changed a bit. Um, you know, the Greyhounds win that game. All of a sudden, the series is 2-2 going back to Flint with a guaranteed game six. Yeah. you know, four days later, right? Um, you know, and then in, in game five, you could see, you know, Flint came out, you know, good first period by both teams, and then Flint came out and took advantage of uh, a couple of five-on-threes in the second period to blow the game open. They were up, I believe it was 4 nothing after two, and then kind of smooth sailing from there. Um, you know, but I give Flint a lot of credit. They've, you know, like you said, this is a team that's, you know, since they moved to Flint from Plymouth, they, you know, they haven't, they haven't even gone out, gotten out of round one, uh, and I believe that was 2015 when they moved. So, um, you know, this is big for them, and and they've had some ups and downs. They've had some, you know, some tough goes with, you know, with issues with ownership and and you know some of the stuff that went on there. So that's it's huge for the organization to get there and and not. And you know, it's going to be interesting. They're going to be you know in tough against uh, against Windsor here in the conference final, but. You know they played uh, played some good hockey in that Greyhound series. It was big for them, especially coming off uh, you know an opening round seven game series against Owen Sound, who played them very tough as well. So you know they uh, they've been tested quite a bit here through two rounds and. You know, be curious to see how they uh, how they fare here against Windsor in round three. Well, they've been able to get a bit of a break uh, to, and rest up a little bit, but every team that's moving on uh, pretty short series in round two for everybody. One sweep, three others that went to five games. Uh, speaking of Flint, and you talked about all the off ice uh, trouble that they've had. Uh, what's the fan support like for the uh, the Firebirds at this point? Are are they getting the fan support? Uh, like, are they coming to the games and and cheering this team on now that they're they're having success? Yeah, we saw a little bit, uh, a little bit bigger crowds, especially later in both uh, both of the first two series. Um, you know, the series against the Greyhounds, they had a, you know, they play in a, you know, a slightly smaller um, building as far as capacity compared to, you know, compared to a lot of other rinks around the league. Their their building's kind of on the lower end uh, of capacity, but they had, uh, I believe, it was around three thousand for you know, for game five against the Sioux, which is, you know, is pretty big for them. Um, and like I said, it's a, you know, it's a smaller building. So, um, you know, when you get that many people in the building, it's, you know, it can get pretty loud. And, um, you know, there were, uh, there were a lot of, you know, go fling, go chance prior to puck drop and whatnot. So, you know, it seems like people have been out, especially in, in some of the, you know, bigger games here uh, of late. And I think people are, pretty excited for that team. They had a real good finish to the regular season and, you know, ended up finishing first in, or uh, ended up finishing second rather in the division, but they were in a battle for first up until, you know, the last week or so of the regular season with the Greyhounds and Windsor. So, you know, there's some excitement there. And I imagine, especially with Windsor and Flint being relatively close together, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, you see some fans of either team kind of trekking back and forth for, uh, for games in this one. Oh, that would be outstanding. What, uh, what uh, do you, are you expecting a long series? There's not much separating the two teams. You mentioned how close they were down this stretch. Uh, they both score a lot. Windsor had 305 goals this season. Flint had 286. That's a lot. Uh, and uh, they did, they both they did a pretty good job of, of uh, keeping their goals against manageable, both under 250. 
Uh, is this a series that could go a long ways, or do you see one of them, maybe two teams who are equal on paper, but once you get them on the ice, uh, you you quickly find out they're not the, they're not the same. I I, I feel like uh, you know I feel like this is a series where Windsor Windsor had the edge during the regular season um, between uh, between the two of them, but like I feel like with the way Luke Cavillan's playing in the playoffs, like his numbers have been extremely solid. I believe his save percentage is tops in the league going into. Uh, going into the conference final. So he's going to be uh he's going to be a big difference. It, it's definitely got the potential of being, uh, you know, a six or seven gamer um, in that regard. And, you know, like you said, both teams have, uh, you know, have a good amount of offense. Um, you know, Windsor, you look at guys like Wyatt Johnston, the Dallas pick, Will Cooley, a Rangers pick, uh, you know, have had great years. And then, you know, Brennan Othman and, you know, kid and Gavin Hayes, who's played real well for Flint, and he was real good in that series against the Greyhounds as well. So, you know, there's a lot of variables, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely got the potential to be uh, to be a longer series. Um, you know, depending on how things play out, but I certainly wouldn't be shocked if this ends up going six or seven games for sure. Okay, and does with the home ice advantage, is it Windsor's series in your opinion? You're a lot closer to it than I am. If I was to you know press you for a, a prediction, who would you pick? Yeah, I, w- I would say Windsor. I mean, Windsor was, you know, was extremely good at home, especially especially in the second half of the season. They were, you know, close to unbeatable on home ice. Um, you know, so that's going to that's gonna come into, uh, you know, that's going to play a role in this one for sure. Um, you know, if I had to pick a winner, I, I, I you know, I, my, my gut feeling is, is Windsor in this one. Um, you know, just based on how good they've been on home ice and, um, you know, just how good they've uh, they've played here uh, in the playoffs so far. Brad Cogemilio from Sioux Today uh, is my guest, also uh, associated with uh, Village Media. What's the difference there? Uh, explain that for my audience. Yeah, so I mean, Sioux Today is, is basically uh, our news organization based directly out of uh, out of uh, Sioux Saint Marie, Ontario. Um, you know, and and Village Media is kind of the the parent company of that. Okay. Um, you know, for, for some of the other, you know, for some listeners, you know, it might be the idea of, you know, post media compared to, you know, each individual paper in each individual market. Um, you know, we've got as a company at village media, we've got, uh, we've got sites, uh, you know, through a, a, a growing number of cities, uh, you know, we're based in a lot of OHL cities at this point, like, you know, North Bay and Guelph and, and whatnot. And, and then we've got some partnerships with, uh, with some other companies out West and on the East coast as well. And, and Rogers media, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's exciting, it's exciting times. We're a growing company and, you know, definitely a, a solid group to be a part of for sure. Well, Brad, at the start of the year, when I poll the audience and I ask who's going to lead the, uh, the league in scoring it's uh, and which team is the team to beat. Everybody looked to Kingston at the start of the year, and of course Shane Wright was expected to lead the league in scoring, according to the fans, and neither of those came to uh, fruition, and in fact, Kingston bows out in the second round at at the hands of the North Bay Battalion. Now it's North Bay against Hamilton, and Hamilton is the top-ranked team in the OHL uh, right now. Uh, Size up this matchup for me, because on paper, it looks like it could be a good one. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, the, as good as I feel like the Windsor-Flint series could potentially be, I, I, you know, I fully expect North Bay-Hamilton to be the better of the two series. And that's no slight to the, the Western Conference final, but, you know, these were two of the hottest teams in the league going into the playoffs. Um, you know, Hamilton, I believe, had won something like 14 in a row or 14 of 15 and the uh and the regular season, um, you know, and North Bay was very similar. I believe they were, 
you know, won eight of nine going into the playoffs and, you know, they've been on a, a real solid run um, here, you know, in the playoffs, they swept Ottawa in round one. And as you mentioned, beating Kingston in five and in round two. And, you know, and that was a Kingston team that, like you said, I think a lot of people, myself included, expected, uh, you know, expected to be real, real tough. And, and I expected them to be a, a tougher out for North Bay than they ended up being, um, you know, and these are, you know, like you said, two of the hottest teams, and Hamilton still hasn't lost a lost a game in the playoffs. They sweep Peterborough in round one and uh, Mississauga in round two. So, you know, two of the hottest teams in the league, probably. You know, over the last two months, probably two of the best teams in the league. Uh, you know, maybe besides Windsor. So, you know, this has got all the makings of of you know a real tough, real good series. You know, whether it's you know goaltending on both sides has been good. Um, you know, offense on both sides has been good. There's a lot of, you know, high-end names, whether it's Mason McTavish and, you know, in Hamilton and, you know, Madve Petrov and, and Brandon Cohen in North Bay. So, you know, this has definitely got the makings of being a real, real good and real long series uh, in the Eastern Conference Final. Yeah, you mentioned Mason McTavish. He was brought over at the right at the trade deadline, wasn't he? And didn't Hamilton kind of make a, a number of moves leading up to the trade deadline where they're it sort of separated them from the pack uh, in the second half of the season. Is that, uh, is that the way that's, that's how I remember it. Is that accurate though? Yeah, they, they definitely, uh, definitely made some, uh, made some moves going into the deadline. I mean, obviously the, you know, the big one was, uh, was McTavish, but they brought in, uh, you know, brought in defenseman Arbor Jack guy, who's uh, an overage defenseman, a Montreal prospect after signing, there's a free agent and, you know, he had a, a good finish to the year with, uh, with Hamilton as well. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, that's physical, he's a big body and, and very tough to play against. And, um, you know, the same thing with Mason McTavish, as much as he's, uh, you know, as much as he's a real solid offensive player, he's just, you know, again, another big body, he's around six, one, 200 pounds. And, um, you know, his numbers, like, you know, the scary thing to think is like, this is a kid who only played, I think he played less than 30 games this year between, um, you know, between Peterborough and then after getting traded to Hamilton, because he started the year in Anaheim and, and played well there. Then when he got sent back, it was, you know, he ended up at the world, the shortened world junior tournament and, you know, the Olympic opportunity. So this is a guy who hasn't played an absolute ton of hockey, but he was still put up absolutely great numbers. And, you know, it's probably just getting settled in really at this point to uh, to playing in, in Hamilton. So he's going to be, you know, he's going to be very tough. And then they have, you know, some of the holdovers like Logan Morrison and George Diak, who's played real well for them as well. So, you know, between the guys they brought in and, you know, and the guys that have already been there, this is a, you know, this is a very good Hamilton team that, uh, you know, looks like they could kind of repeat what they did in 2018 when they made their uh, their run to the Memorial Cup in Regina. 176 goals against. That's it for Hamilton. We were talking, uh, yeah. I mentioned, you know, Windsor and Flint under 250. Geez, that's not too bad. Well, <laughs> Hamilton is, and uh, as far as that goes, North Bay, both of them under 200 goals against, but Hamilton, 176. That's remarkable. Now, is that team defense or do they have a goaltender who is just standing on his head all year in fact in this matchup who's got the better goalie yeah you know what I mean I I, I like Joe Verbetic of, of North Bay a little bit more but uh, Marco Costantini's been the starter in Hamilton for for much of the year and he's been absolutely outstanding um, you know as far as you know exactly why their goals against numbers are, are as low as they are I mean I think it's 
you know, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, this is in uh, Costantini. He's a kid that, you know, it was, it's no fluke that he won 31 games this year. I mean, he's a kid that, you know, in 45 games gave up 103 goals and he's been real good. Um, you know, but on the other hand, it's a, you know, it's a team that doesn't necessarily give up an absolute ton of shots either. And, you know, you could say the same thing on the North Bay side as well. Um, you know, that's been a team that, uh, you know, they've always been, you know, generally been very good defensively, um, you know, definitely had that, you know, defensive aspect to their game. But, uh, you know, this year we're seeing the offensive side of things, but guys have bought in as well. Um, you know, if I had to, you know, if I had to give an edge, I mean, I would say I like, I, you know, I'm a fan of Joe Verbatic. I've always been a fan of, of, of him. He's a Montreal prospect playing in North Bay, but, um, you know, it, it, it's a lot closer than, you know, than, than I think people would realize. I don't think, um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a situation where it's, you know, as cut and dry as, as you know, many people would think. And, uh, you know, it's certainly no slight against Marco Costantini. I expect both guys are going to be, uh, you know, going to be really good. And, you know, this has the possibility of being, you know, a relatively high scoring series or a relatively low scoring series, <laughs> just depending on, uh, you know, depending on the bounces, right? All right, I got to ask you about Madvey Petrov because he's signed by the Oilers now, and I happen that's the 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 market that I'm located in. He's six two and 180 ish pounds, uh, and drafted outside of the CHL, so he can play in the American Hockey League next year if that's what the Oilers want to do. Is he ready, in your opinion, to be a professional hockey player, or do you think another year in the OHL would be more beneficial? You know what I mean? I I, I feel like it wouldn't necessarily hurt him, especially in uh, especially in North Bay. Um, you know, if he gets another year in North Bay, he's in a position where, you know, he's already playing and playing decent minutes with uh, with the with the battalion. But, you know, he's going to go into next year likely being the guy offensively, um, you know, and a guy, for a guy who you know had 40 goals this year, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I feel like he's in a, in a position where, you know, it wouldn't necessarily, you know, it wouldn't necessarily hurt. And I, you know, I kind of liken it to. Um, you know, a kid like Rory Cairns in the Sioux, who, you know, I'm sure some people in, in Alberta will know very well as a Calgary Flames prospect. He was a kid that had spent some time in the American Hockey League last year and then came back and had an absolutely outstanding year at both ends of the ice. And, um, you know, was, was a, you know, for me, that was the Greyhounds best player all year. And I feel like, you know, as good as Madley Petrov has been this year. I feel like the the added year, that one extra year of of junior hockey, wouldn't necessarily hurt. Um, you know, when, when you get some guys, I mean, obviously you're going to get the guys like you know the the McDavid's and, and, and whatnot. That you know, it's a pretty easy jump. I mean, I guess the only fortunate thing would be Petrov being eligible to play in the American Hockey League next year. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's you know, I, I have no issue with teams you know possibly sending a guy back for one more year of junior. I don't feel like I don't feel like in, in these situations it hurts a lot of guys. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm more of the mind that, you know, unless, you know, if Matvey Petrov was maybe a step better or, you know, a little higher end, you know, then maybe we could, you know, we could look at it. But I don't feel like he's in a position where it would, uh, it would hurt him to play one more year of junior. Great stuff, uh, Brad. Great to catch up with you once again as well. A terrific setup for the conference finals in the OHL. Uh, What do you got coming up uh, for Sue today? 
yeah, it's you know it's a good time for us uh, as well as far as uh, the sports side of things. Our, our junior A team here in the NOJHL, the Sioux Thunderbirds, are um, on their way out to uh, to Estevan for the Centennial Cup. Uh, right. After winning a, a pretty crazy seven game uh, final here in in the Northern Ontario League, they ended up uh, actually ended up coming back from three nothing down to uh, to win the series. Um, you know, so it was a pretty pretty wild series. So I'm definitely looking forward to covering that. And a lot of the local football summer football teams are getting started up here, so that's getting on the radar. And between that and year end Greyhound stuff, now that things are done, it's. Uh, you know, even with hockey winding down, it still always manages to be a busy time. Absolutely does. Uh, Brad, thanks for this, man. Appreciate it. Hey, appreciate you having me on. Thanks for having me again. That was Brad Cogemilio, who covers the Sioux Greyhounds. Been a longtime follower of the Ontario Hockey League. I met him back in, uh, I want to say it was Red Deer, maybe it was Saskatoon, uh, at one of the Memorial Cups. Jeez, actually, it could have been the London uh, Memorial Cup that the Oil Kings won back in 2014. That's probably when it was. But does a great job covering the OHL and those uh, Greyhounds, and that's why I wanted to get him on the show because he would have some insight uh, having just seen the Flint Firebirds up close. So it looks like it's going to be a great conference final in both halves of the OHL. I guess if I was going out on a limb, I, you know, I'm going to take Flint and I'm going to take Hamilton. How about that? Flint's never been to the final before. Let's go with that. And that might be just cheering for the story as opposed to cheering for the team. But, hey, that's what I do. Next up on the Pipeline Show, we're going to turn on the 2022 Draft Spotlight. We're going to head to the Western Hockey League. And one of the uh, top defensemen in the class of 2022 happens to be a WHLer. There's a couple that we haven't had on the show just yet. Denton Matejchuk was a guest earlier this season. But uh, this guy we haven't had yet. So Owen Pickering from the Swift Current Broncos. We'll see what he's been doing since uh, the... World U18 has come and gone. Swift Current Broncos defenseman is up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Up now to DeBrus, gains a tiger line, shoots, scored! Jake DeBrus does it again in overtime! Hey, it's Jake DeBrus of the Swift Current Broncos, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. Tell me his name again. With Guy Flaming. Who? Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it in two locations, Leduc or Spruce Grove. But if you're in Western Canada, you can have it any order, any size, shipped to you anywhere in Western Canada. Just contact Trent at the Leduc location. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, now, I'm calling an audible at the line. Uh, last segment, I ended it going into the break, uh, saying that uh, Owen Pickering from the Swift Current Broncos was going to be my next guest. When I called him, 
he's sicker than a dog. So uh, we're going to postpone that. Might be in the next segment, or hopefully it'll be in this week's episode. But uh, calling it an audible, and we're heading south. Another 2022 draft spotlight, though, as uh, another player eligible for the upcoming NHL draft is joining me now. His name is Dylan James, plays for the Sioux City Musketeers right in the middle of the Clark Cup final in the USHL. Dylan, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How are you doing? A pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. It's uh, it's it's fun for me, but man, I imagine you're having a lot more fun these days. Uh, it's not every day you get to play for a, a league championship, and you guys are right in the middle of this battle with uh, the uh, upstart Madison Capitals, uh, who have uh, kind of upset their way uh, to the Clark Cup final. And you're uh, tied 1-1 as we're speaking right now, next game going on Friday. It's got to be exciting, though. For sure, for sure. Um Obviously, we, we we wish we were up 2-0 right now, but uh, whatever. We, we're, we're leaving for Madison tomorrow morning and get a couple practices in and try to win that third game. What's the, the playoffs been like? It'll, it's a, it moves pretty quick, doesn't it, the USHL playoffs? A couple of best-of-three series, and, and now the final is just a best-of-five. Yeah, no, we, we got a pretty good schedule. We we got a first-round bye, um, and then we, we played Waterloo the first series. I was best-of-three. We went to three games and won that one. Uh, and then we played Tri-City best-of-five. Uh, we, we swept them in three games. That was huge for us. And then uh, obviously we're in the finals here now. So we, we haven't played that many games in the playoffs. So we, we got a good schedule for sure. All right. So you're not tired or anything at this point. That that series against Tri-City, you mentioned it, it was big for you guys. A sweep, and they were the top uh, team in the entire league this season. Had the best uh, uh, points, finished on top. Tell me about that series and just how'd you pull it off? Three-game sweep like that. Yeah, kind of crazy. Um, they had home home ice the, those first two games, so we went there, and um, you know that was unexpected, honestly, from the from everyone on the league that we we win twice at their barn and then come home and win that third one. Um, you know, they broke records this year. They were an unreal team. They got an unreal goalie. Um, they it was a battle for sure, but um, we're, we're a strong team too, and we know that, and uh, it, it obviously showed. Well, you, you win those two games in their uh, rink, and then uh, you get to the final, and you have home ice advantage, and you lose that first one. You've rebounded and, and won game two uh, with a 3 nothing shutout, but you know, having pulled off that trick against Tri-City and then dropping the first game, any nerves after game one? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, it was an East team. We haven't, we haven't played the East. We didn't play the East division this year, right? So we, we didn't really know what to expect. Obviously, we had pre-scales and whatnot, but... Um, we we figured out that second game and we got confidence going into these next couple of games what to do and confidence we can we can finish it off. All right, and you know if you get another split, we still got that last uh, home game uh, waiting you uh, back in Sioux City if necessary. Uh, Dylan James is my guest. Uh, Dylan, a terrific season this year for yourself, uh, 61 points in 62 games, and you've carried that production over into the postseason here with six points so far uh, through the eight games that you've played. Uh, it didn't take you uh, long, it seems like, to, to get acclimated to a new league like that. Uh, how would you describe this season for yourself? Um, obviously, I came down here. I, I mean, I played I played seven games last year in the Alberta Junior League. Uh, I came down here not really knowing what to expect, but and I, I had great billets, unreal coaching staff here, and uh, I kind of knew that coming in here, which, which helped. Um, I mean, I got great teammates who have been pushing me, great, great coaches, like I said. Um, every day I felt like I got better, so I'm so happy I came I came down here and made this decision. He ended up third in uh, team scoring. Uh, Owen McLaughlin and uh, Ben Steves finished just ahead of you in scoring, but were your teammates uh, the same two guys all season long, or did that change up a, a bit? Who'd you play with for the most part? So the start of the year, I was with I was with McLaughlin too, and and uh, Charlie Shane on the right wing. 
and then um my right winger now he was uh he was hurt start of the year and then he came in and then the lines kind of shuffled a bit but yeah i'm with bennett shimmick on the right now okay but i've been with owen their whole year all right uh well that combination seems to be pretty uh effective uh, that pairing between you and owen what makes you guys click I'm not even sure. We we've just we've played together the whole year. We've built some chemistry up, and um, we got we got confidence in each other. We know what you know each other's going to do in the O zone or the D zone, and it, it seems to work. So, Dylan, a couple other Canadians uh, on the team, or at least one, and William Smith. I don't know if he's still with the club. Yeah, I guess he's played in the in the playoffs, and and Benjamin Potra uh, only played the one game uh, in the regular season, and and uh, one in the playoffs as well. But uh, not a lot of Canadians, not a lot of familiar faces. Did it take long to feel? comfortable in new surroundings yeah for sure I, I came down here like i said i didn't know i don't i don't i didn't know anyone everyone's everyone's american they all most of them from you know minnesota and Minnesota mm-hmm. high school so i was i was kind of a change um and will smith wasn't wasn't he wasn't here yet to start of the year he came january so i i didn't have another canadian for the first four months so uh it's kind of nice to get him down here and then ben poitras i live with him right now he's a beauty he's from toronto too um yeah it's, it's kind of nice to have some canadians down here though for sure all right. Well, Dylan, uh, what the, we like to do in this part of the show is let the audience get to know somebody who's draft eligible. The Pipeline shows a junior and, and college hockey show. Uh, so my regular audience will be familiar with the USHL and, and know about the Okotoks Oilers, and we'll ask about that as, as well. But uh, the casual NHL fans will listen to this because you're a draft eligible prospect, and they might not know anything about, say, the Sioux City Musketeers. So uh, for the benefit of those people, let's start at the beginning to get to know you, and uh, let's start where are you from. You, you mentioned that your teammate is from Toronto. You're from Calgary, aren't you? Yeah, I know I am. I, it's, it's pretty far from each other. I obviously didn't know him until I was here, but yeah, um, yeah, I grew up in Calgary. All right. Do you remember who got you into hockey at a young age, and how old were you when you first started playing? Yeah, I threw the skates on it, too. Obviously, I don't remember that, but my uh, I'm pretty sure my dad or my mom, one of them, or maybe both of them, um, threw me in it. My dad my dad played a little bit growing up, nothing competitive or high level. Um, my mom was a basketball player, so she was kind of into sports, but yeah, I started skating else too. I see. Uh, you have a couple of brothers, Kyle and Justin. Are they uh, younger, older, in between? They're, they're both older. They're 21 and, uh, or, yeah, 23 and 21. Okay. They play as well? Yeah, they, they played... Um, they played as well. They played Junior B, Creston Valley, uh, Thundercats, and the KIJHL in British Columbia. So I imagine when you were a little kid, I have an older brother, and it was always, you know, whatever he was doing, I wanted to do too. So if they were playing hockey, was that part of the reason why you also wanted to play? Yeah, for sure. Um, my dad actually built a, a rink in our backyard, and that kind of fired up the competitiveness in me. We, we, we always go back there. And I probably, I, I was, I always came back in the house crying because my brother pushed me in a snowbank or something, but <laughs> no, that, that really made me mad and kind of fired me up to play hockey. You're lucky they didn't put you in the net and just fire pucks at you. Yeah. No, I mean, I played goalie a couple of times, but. Well, I was going to ask yeah. you that because a lot of kids when, you know, you might be seven or eight years old and your club team doesn't have a full-time goalie, you might get, you know, all the, uh, the everybody has to take their turn. It's like a rotation. It's your turn to play net today, Dylan. So, uh, did you have one of those uh, opportunities when you were really young? No, I, I actually do. I can remember it perfectly. Um, I, I did play goalie, and I remember I covered the puck once, and this, this guy came in. One guy lifted the glove, other guy put it in that, and I, I never wanted to be a goalie again. So, mm. terrible memory, but didn't want to be a goalie. Being a forward looks like it's uh, been a, a, a good decision for you. Have you always been a forward, or did you ever try the blue line? No, always been a forward. I, I was I was center for a little bit, but left wing's been my 
my spot ever since. And always an offensive guy. Looking at your numbers, you know, with the Calgary Buffaloes and the Bisons before that, and even the Blackhawks, uh, you're always a guy who was able to uh, produce. Did it just seem to come naturally for you? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of like when I play hockey, I kind of try to stick to the defensive. You know, ensure I'm playing defensive before cheating for offense. But hmm. I feel like that kind of that kind of proves my offense. If you're always in the D side and you're, you're playing the right way, it'll it'll come. So. Um, I'm not I'm not cheating for offense or whatnot, but it seemed like this, the the points or whatnot just just came. Interesting. Well, I I remember the uh, the Brandon Weekings that drafted you back in the Bantam draft. I think you were still with the Buffaloes then, point per game guy that season. Uh, was the WHL a consideration for you, or have you always known that you were headed the college route? Yeah, no, the Western League was was the plan. Um, and then uh, I got in contact with North Dakota. I kind of found out about them, and I I looked into it a little more, and then. Um, on the way to Brandon's main camp, I went through the U S and, and checked out the campus unofficially, just, you know, kind of walked down, saw the rink, saw the, saw the campus. And then I went up North to Brandon's main camp, checked that out as well. And then I, I kind of just, I didn't, I didn't want to sign cause I obviously couldn't play in the Western league for two more years. So mm-hmm. there was no rush. Um, and then my uncle Bart Van Seldin and he played at Michigan state. So he kind of told me the, the college route and, seem more interesting and then um yeah i kind of just i just went that way with it well and you got a couple of years playing with the uh the oak dokes oilers well one full season your rookie year 43 points in 51 games you were i think you were uh rookie of the year for the oilers uh and also on the uh, rookie of the year team for the entire ajhl so obviously a, a really strong season there and following the path of a guy like uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, who went to North Dakota after playing for Oak Dokes. I, I, I've been to the Ralph in, in, at North Dakota. Was that your first experience being at that rank? And I, I just wonder, uh, the facility itself, how much that influenced your decision. Yeah, I, I've actually been down there a couple times, but, um, that, I mean, you can't you, you can't turn that rink down in that, that program and yeah. the facility and what they can offer. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't just say no to that. That was a big part of it. Was it a hard decision to inform the Brandon Weekings, as you mentioned? You know, listen, we grew up in in Western Canada. It's the WHL's backyard. As a kid, it sounded like that was the plan for you all along. So when Brandon selects you fairly high, I think second round pick, um, I imagine that was a, a tough conversation to have with them. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, they 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 put a draft pick, you know, into me and and took that risk and invested into me, but. Um, yeah, it was definitely hard. I, 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 I don't feel bad about it. Like I, they're a great organization. I, you know, but, um, it, it was hard. I, I never wanted to do that. Right. Um, but I just did what's best for me and, and that was North Dakota. All right. So you have that uh, rookie season with, with Okotoks, 43 points in 51 games. Then the next year, well, the end of that year, COVID hits and wipes out the playoffs. And last year you only get to play seven games in the entire league. Did that have an influence on why you decided to go to the USHL this year, or if not, why? Why why did you decide to not play in the AJ again this year after having such a strong rookie season? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was it was honestly morally about COVID. Like I didn't know what Alberta's government was going to do with with the AJ, and if you know, I I, I knew the USHL there there like the season wouldn't been, wouldn't be postponed. So I came down here ran with it honestly obviously it's a it's a better league than the alberta junior league so if you can succeed it if you can succeed here you can um you, you can succeed in college as well interesting uh, uh tell me why you feel the ushl is a better league than the ajhl what makes it better um 
every every player in this league, you know, in every game is is already committed to a university. Um, you don't really see that in the in the AJ except for you know Brooks. So you can compare it to playing Brooks every game. Maybe a little harder. I think they're a little like every team's a little harder than Brooks uh, to play. Um, but I mean, they're they're picking from all across the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So I don't know. It's it's definitely harder for sure. All right, fair enough. Uh, Dylan James is my guest. He uh, currently playing for the Sioux City Musketeers, former member of the Okotoks Oilers, on his way to North Dakota. And is that next year you'll uh, join the Fighting Hawks? Yeah, I'll be joining them next year. I think I'm going down uh, to train uh, in the summer here in July. All right. When you've spoken with Coach Barry, what are your expectations for next season? A lot of guys will have to you know, start far down the depth chart and, and work your way up, uh, especially on a program as deep and as uh, – uh, historic as uh, North Dakota's is. Um, I, I wouldn't say there's a set uh, like place for me yet. Obviously, you got to earn that and go in there and show how badly you want it, which I'm fine to do. That's part of hockey. Um, but I, they got confidence in me. And I got confidence in myself that I can I can impact that lineup, and that's that's what I'm mainly gonna be trying to do next next year. Dylan, let's talk about the draft then. Uh, and uh, has that been something that's been on your mind much? A lot of players will tell me they try not to think about the draft at all because they don't want it to be a distraction. But there are players who tell me that they actively seek out to see, you know, where TSN has them ranked or Sportsnet or, you know, any of the independent scout- scouting agencies out there. What about you? Uh, if it comes off my uh, across my Twitter feed, I'll I'll check it out. But my mom's sending me texts about it, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like you said, the other guys, I don't, I don't try to focus on it. Like especially now, I got a week left in my, of my season. I just gotta bear down and try to win the championship here. But yeah, it's it's a good feeling. Obviously, talk about, you know, the draft. But I got a week left, so I'm focus on this. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, now, for those who haven't had a chance to watch you play, how do you describe yourself as a player? Um, a 200 foot player. I can play. I can provide offense in the ozone. Um, like you said before, um, but I feel like my defense or, or like killing penalties is my specialty. Um, like coach, coach trusts me on the, on the power play there and the PK and five on five, six on five. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you call that. It's a player maybe. Now the sheet I'm looking at says six feet even and 183 pounds, but I don't know how up to date that is. What are you at now? Uh, yeah, like I'd say six and a half, six and a quarter. Um, maybe, yeah, I'll give her 181. I think I've dropped a couple pounds since the season starts. But All right, is that a comfortable weight for you, or do you feel like you, you got to bulk up, or are you, do you think you're done growing taller as well? No, I think I got some more in me. My my brothers are you know, six, six one and 6'3", so mm. my dad's 6'4", so I got, some, I got some height, hopefully, still to go, and then hopefully some weight, too. Uh, Dylan, you're a Calgary guy. We got the Battle of Alberta uh, happening here uh, now in the, at the NHL level. Uh, who was your favorite team growing up? You know, I, I kind of liked the LA Kings. I don't know. I, I was a bandwagon when I was a little younger. I liked Quick <laughs> when they were in that cup run. Um, and then I kind of like, I honestly like Tarasenko on the Blues. And I love their jerseys. So that, that that's been my team lately. So I'm, I'm cheering for them. Even though you're a Calgary guy, you, your uh, attention is more on the St. Louis, Colorado series. Yeah, I'm cheering for Calgary, obviously. I'd like to come to a game if I can get back in time, but uh, I'm going for St. Louis again. Excellent. Well, Dylan, listen, I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed the conversation. Best of luck in the the rest of the Clark Cup finals and uh, whatever happens in the draft, and maybe we'll chat again once you get to North Dakota. 
For sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. There's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers in the middle of the Clark Cup final to determine the USHL champion. And uh, he's head to North Dakota. That also makes this an NCAA campus report on behalf of our friends at College Hockey Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, you need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility. Get in contact with Mike Snee or the crew at collegehockeyinc.com. Now, next up, may have that conversation that I have planned with Owen Pickering, or hopefully that'll be uh, at least in this week's episode as I'm speaking with you right now. It's Wednesday. He may be available for me uh, tomorrow, being Thursday. If not, we, we could push that to next week. However, I do have a couple of other segments in store for you as well. One with the general manager and owner of the Red Deer Rebels. That would be Brent Sutter. Going to uh, cap off the season for those Rebels and uh, pick his brain about the WHL's Eastern Conference Final between Winnipeg and Edmonton. See what he thinks of that matchup. Also still going to hear from WHL Commissioner Ron Robison. So lots to get to on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross ice, center ice to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, Weisbach refeeds Holloway, open, score! <laughs> One game, fantastic play, Holloway, Weisbach, back to Holloway, 1-1, wow! And you're listening to Pipeline Show. Talent, development, NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris wow, and Duncan Keith and future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hi, everybody. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Two locations, one in Leduc, one in Spruce Grove. But if you're in Western Canada, you don't have to make that drive in. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. My guest today comes to us from Manitoba, but he plays in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. As we turn on the 2022 draft spotlight once again, and we get to know Owen Pickering of the Swift Current Broncos. Uh, Owen, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. You're a liar because I know you're sick. We were supposed to do this yesterday, and you weren't feeling up to it yesterday. I'm glad that you're feeling good enough to to do it today. But uh, yeah, it sucks when you have to do interviews and you're not feeling 100, percent eh? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh... Day yesterday, but uh, good to go today. All right. Well, I appreciate you, you uh, toughing it out and uh, and being ready uh, to do this today. Uh, tell me about this season for for you and the Broncos. I know tough in some regards because well, the, the team just fell short of the the playoffs, but played some exciting hockey down the stretch for sure. And for yourself, thirty three points in sixty two games this year. And I don't know what your expectations were at the start of the season, but you're considered to be one of the top players of the league. Uh, for the NHL draft. So a little good, a little bad, but uh, how, what was your thoughts overall on the season? Uh, yeah, kind of like you said, um, a lot of positives. Um, kind of looking back, it's tough to not focus on uh, how close we were. 
uh, coming into the year, our goal um, as a group was, was to make the playoffs. So uh, when you get that close, uh, we could taste it. So uh, that's kind of the biggest thing that when you look back on. Uh, you, you wish that maybe we got one of those last four games and then we're able to, to sneak in. But uh, as a team, I, I honestly think uh, there's a lot of positives too um, to build into next year. Uh, kind of everybody knows a young core, um, kind of a lot of a lot of 17 year olds, um, putting some pretty uh, high leverage spots in the lineup. So uh, I think guys responded well, uh, and we saw growth uh, in our group throughout the season. Uh, kind of when you look at look at our record, we we went on a 10 game losing streak at the start of the year and mm-hmm. uh, ended up ended up one one point out of the playoffs. So uh, that's. Uh, it's definitely something that we can be proud of, kind of kind of our second half and then how we finished on the stretch, obviously not our last four games. But um, I do think there's a lot of positives from that. And, and personally, kind of like you said, I asking about expectations, I didn't really have any coming in. Um, I kind of wanted to, to get established in the Western League and, and prove myself so that I could, I could be a good player in the league and um, take on a lot of responsibility on our blue line. But um, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I expected uh, to get this kind of attention. Um, coming into the year, if you'd asked me a year ago, I probably would have told you you're crazy, but, um, I do have, I do have confidence in myself and, um, I do think I deserve it, but, uh, definitely, definitely a good year in terms of that. And, uh, kind of, I think it just kind of turned into a whirlwind a little bit where I, I got some confidence and, uh, and, uh, I got, got put into some good spots and, uh, I think I had some success. Well, this was your uh, second season in the WHL first full one, because, the uh, the 23 games uh, in the spring of 2021. I don't know if you even consider that a full season or not, but at least you were able to dip your toe into the WHL waters. How important was that 23 game stretch there uh, last spring to get you prepared for the, what was your first full season? Uh, it was it was huge for me. Um, I know some guys maybe disagree. Uh, their experience maybe it was it was negative, uh, but but for me it was uh, honestly I think the best best possible situation. Uh, in uh, September of that year, so uh, when we ended up playing U uh, eighteen at RHA, um, I was injured uh, for the first two months. I did a growth spurt, so I, I'd mm-hmm. grown three inches, and uh, a lot of kind of like your knees disagreeing with you, your back stuff like that. So um, I wouldn't have made Swift as a sixteen at the start of the year, I don't think. Um, so the ability to kind of go to RHA and, and get uh, first class kind of rehab and stuff and uh, working on my body a little bit. And then, um, the ability to come to the bubble and, and get thrown into, uh, 21, 22 minutes a night, honestly, once we kind of, um, got into it, mm-hmm. obviously I got scratched the first game, but, um, after that, I, we had a couple injuries and then I was thrown into, um, just into a good spot in the lineup. And, and then I, I think I earned it after that. I got some confidence, realized it was hockey. Um, but that that ability um, to kind of like you said, dip my toes in the water and, and come out of the bubble um, with a taste of what the Western League is like, and honestly, confidence that I can be good in the league um, was was really positive for me because I was able to take that into the summer and um, have a really good summer and, and get ready for this past year, where um, obviously the, the 68 game season is um, a little different. But I got to kind of prepare for the grind, kind of. Uh, knowing what, what the quality of hockey would be like and right. uh, a little bit of kind of the, the, the day-to-day uh, stuff like that. Well, and uh, as we mentioned, the, the Broncos didn't make the playoffs, fell just the, the one point short or one win short 
uh, of making it in this year. But I talked to a number of your teammates over the course of the season in this same segment, get as you got a number of draft eligible guys uh, on your team this season. Just the, the feeling of helping that franchise turn the corner and turn around and, and start moving up the standings again, because it's been a while uh, since, well, since they uh, won uh, the league championship, uh, since uh, the Broncos have been uh, a factor at all, uh, relevant even. Uh, and to be a part of that turnaround, that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. Um, it's, a, it's a big responsibility. Obviously, we kind of, uh, this 2004 group was uh, the first draft class um, after the after the championship where they actually kind of had all their picks. 2003 uh, class kind of traded a lot of them away, kind of sold the farm a little bit to win it. But um, it, it's pretty special. Um, kind of the town, obviously, is very hockey-driven. And um, even like kind of from the second second half, uh, town kind of came alive with support and you can kind of see uh, um, what it's going to be like over the next couple of years. And, and we're entering kind of our win now stage. So mm-hmm. uh, we're, we want to be a good team next year. And, and that's the expectation coming in um, this past year. It was more, um, we had a lot of guys who's their first full year in the league and, and kind of nobody really had outside expectations on us. But um, for us, we we were coming into this year knowing that uh, and this, uh, this upcoming year, sorry, Knowing that uh, that we need to be good and, and we need to win now, because um, when we're 19, we want to be uh, the best team in the league and we want to win a championship. So uh, there's no kind of days off. We got to instill a culture and uh, and kind of turn it around, like you said. Well, I'll, and I'll tell you what, Owen, my audience is uh, not just in the WHL area; it's across North America, and there's Europeans that listen to the show as well. So there will be a lot of people who don't know exactly what happened with Swift Current this year, but. For those who don't know, I mean, you guys lost your coach. What about a, six weeks into the season when Dean Brockman stepped aside? That's that's got to be a real challenge for the team, but it doesn't hurt you at all. I mean, Devin Prout's the coach now and took over. And uh, what was that experience like? And I don't know how the, how did the team react to to Dean Brockman hanging him up? I I would it was unexpected. Yeah, um, I don't think that uh, anybody on the team really was. Uh, was expecting that, but um, I think Prater did a really good job coming in. <clears throat> um, he he's a very good coach. Uh, kind of took the reins uh, really fast, and um, Dean, I remember when he was leaving, kind of gave Prater uh, the vote of confidence, and then and made sure that our group knew that uh, that he was going to be a leader, and that, and that he was ready for um, <clears throat> a head coaching job in the Western League. So uh, I think he, I think he did a really good job coming in. Um, we had kind of a few full team meetings there where we talked about uh, kind of the, the events over the past weeks. It was it was a bit of a whirlwind, and um, I think it was difficult for some guys, but um, you just kind of move on, and, and we play, and, and it brought us um, and brought us together as a group. Uh, and then, like I said, Prada did a really good job, and um, we kind of didn't really miss a beat. Feel like it was almost something that the team rallied around. Kind of as you said, it was unexpected. It's almost like oh, you lose your star player to injury or something like that for the year, and everybody's rowing in the same direction type of thing. Is this was that that sort of response from the team? Yeah, yeah. I would just say it didn't really change um, from from Dean to to Prater. Uh, you kind of have a young coach coming in. Obviously, he's um, very motivated, and uh, we we could tell right away that that he wasn't. Uh, that he was extremely qualified for the job. And uh, once once that whole group kind of had confidence in him, uh, just kind of took off from there. 
uh, and that didn't take long because uh, Carter did a really good job at instilling that for us. And um, yeah, the team did rally around it, and, and I do think it ended up being a positive for our group. Owen Pickering is my guest, defenseman with the Swift Current Broncos out of the Western Hockey League. And uh, as I mentioned, my audience, not just a, a WHL followers. So, in fact, in a segment like this, because you're a draft-eligible player, there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who will listen to a segment like this just because you're a draft-eligible player. They might not have any idea where Swift Current is, let alone have watched you play. So for the benefit of those people, it's true, believe me. Uh, for the benefit of that audience, um, let's get some uh, some background information. Uh, tell me where you grew up, Owen. Uh, I grew up in uh, St. Adolph, Manitoba, 10 minutes south of Winnipeg, 1,500 people, uh, hockey-driven. Uh, half the people there speak French and uh, very close in that community. Are you bilingual too? Yeah, yeah oh, I am. I can speak French. Excellent. Do you remember how old you were when you first started playing? You said it's a pretty hockey-driven community, so I'm guessing it was pretty young. Yeah, yeah, I would have been uh, uh, four or five. Five, I think, when I started Timbits. Um, kind of learned to skate when you're three, four. Uh, but yeah, hockey-driven community, so it's just kind of what you do. Always been a defenseman, or did you do, uh, start out as a forward or something and move back, or heck, even throw the pads on? <laughs> Always been a defenseman. I, I did. I spent... Uh, one game I played uh, goalie because our goalie didn't uh, didn't show up and uh, it was a spring hockey game and I got lit up. <laughs> I think I gave up 13, 13 or 14 and uh, we lost to a team that we definitely shouldn't lose to. So uh, eight-year-old Owen made a decision that he was not going to be a goalie. Um, he was also really bad that he couldn't go score all game. So, uh, yeah, that was the the start and end of my uh, goaltending career. It's funny how many times I hear a similar story to that. You're either a goalie or you're definitely not a goaltender. And yeah, there's no in between. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, uh, take me back to the uh, the banner draft. As I'm speaking with you right now, the WHL banner draft is uh, going on for this year's uh, group of uh, of players. Uh, you were taken in the uh, 2019 draft ninth round which i think is you look back now it's almost hard to believe that you were still available in the ninth round but you talked about a growth spurt and you know maybe a bit of a, a late bloomer situation for you but take me back to the bantam draft in 2019 and what that day was like for you uh it was it was a pretty crazy day um i know you kind of looking back now i was talking i was uh, taking really late but uh, it was still extremely special. Um, I remember watching it all day, watching some of my friends um, go, and I was super happy for them. And uh, I remember it was uh, it was lunch period, um, and I, I really had no idea like where I was going to go. Um, kind of no expectations like that. I was just hoping to get drafted to somebody. But um, we, uh, I was with a couple friends, and uh, it was lunch period, so we went to the to the computer lab. Um, and then we were sitting there and, and all of a sudden it, the picks just stopped. Like they stopped, uh, they stopped coming and it was, it was actually the lunch break for the, for the draft. So between the eighth and ninth round, there was like a 45 minute break. So, uh, or an hour break. So totally straight through the, um, lunch period at my, at my school, no picks were made. Uh, we were just in the dark and then I, I went to French class actually. And after however long, hour, 20 minutes of, of the, the scouts and GMs eating lunch. I guess uh, my name was called because I was first overall in the ninth round. That's what I like to say. So uh, <laughs> I, th I thought that was pretty funny because uh, I don't know. I was I was the first pick, but I had to wait an hour, an hour and twenty minutes to 
to see my name pop up. Yeah. Um, and again, like I said, it, it's really cool. Um, no matter, uh, what spot I was taking, it didn't really matter. I, I thought it was, um, it was an honor and I honestly felt uh, privileged that, that Swift was taking a chance in me and, and then they believed in me because, um, from the first phone call, I could tell that they had, um, high hopes for me and, and, and that meant a lot. So, uh, pretty crazy day. I remember, uh, we had a, we had it set up on a phone. Um, the phone was hidden because there was no phones in class. My friend had his phone out and, uh, when I got drafted, he stood up and I stood up and we were on the phone and, um, my French teacher got mad at us. Uh, give me the phone. And, uh, like, I just got drafted. Give me the phone. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was pretty funny, but, um, special day. And looking back, uh, I wouldn't really change your friend. That's outstanding. Great memories uh, for sure. Uh, now there's 22 teams in the league. If you were drafted by, let's say Winnipeg, you're maybe close enough for you. I don't know if you'd, you'd have to bill it or not, but with the odds are pretty good. Whoever drafts you, you're moving away from home at a fairly young age. Uh, when you, when you see that it's swift current and go back to 2019, they were not very good. What was your immediate reaction? I know it's an honor to be drafted by anybody, but to the last place team in the league where you're like, Oh, great. No, not, not at all. Honestly. Um, I, uh, having a conversation with, with them, they, uh, kind of, even then we're talking about like the Oh four group and how they were expecting us to kind of come through and, and have success. So, um, to be a part of that, even then, uh, looking at a lot of the guys drafted, I knew that we could have a good team in a few years. And I also knew that, um, getting drafted to a team um, in that position, I, I might get opportunities earlier, which ended up happening. So um, there's pros and cons to everything, but uh, it, I, there was no negatives to me getting drafted to Swift. All right. Well, that's good to hear. And I guess going to Swift, you're from a smaller town than Swift even is. Uh, and I, I know uh, I, I compared to some of your teammates, maybe some of the guys from Vancouver or something like that that might be on your team, uh, the, uh, the shock for them of experiencing a winter in the prairies you're no stranger to that. So was uh, going to Swift fairly easy for you compared to some of your teammates? Uh, yes, I, w- I would <laughs> say so. I think if you ask Matt Ward uh, about the winter, um, you'd probably just start complaining. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's pretty soft, but uh, I've been uh, I've been uh, going through that for a while. So uh, uh, there's no change for me. Um, I, I enjoyed Swift. I, I love Swift. Um and I, uh, I'm excited to be there uh, again next year. So uh, my billets made the transition extremely easy. Um, yeah. All right. Well, the sheet I'm looking at says six foot five, 178 pounds. You talked about a a, a, a growth spurt at the start of last season, not this uh, this previous the previous to this season. Uh, where where are you at right now? Is that still accurate? Six five, 178 pounds. Yep, yep, six four, six five, hundred and seventy-seven, hundred seventy-eight. All right, so you got lots of room still on your frame to fill out. Is that something that's a, a focus for you in the off season here? Yes, one hundred percent. That's the biggest focus: strength and explosiveness, um, more power. Um, I think that'll that'll just translate and uh, help me a ton in my game. Was that a big challenge for you to get used to having that after that growth spurt? I mean, did you feel awkward at all at that stage, especially on the ice? No, actually, I I didn't really. I feel like it helped me. Um, I don't feel like I had kind of the conventional reaction to a growth spurt. Um, I played a lot of sports growing up, so I feel like I've always had pretty good coordination. Um, but I, I think kind of when I grew, I also got a little bit of explosiveness just from puberty and developing. So 
um, lengthen my stride. Um, and I feel like just getting stronger from there, um, my skating kind of got better and better and it's been improving, um, for, for a couple of years now, but I, I wasn't a great skater when I was younger. I'm a way better skater now. Um, so I, I don't think that I, I ever really felt awkward. Uh, obviously you feel awkward at some points. Uh, kind of, I had no idea how to open ice hit. <laughs> uh, I felt like a draft doing that, but, um, otherwise I, I do, I do think that, uh, there wasn't a ton of struggles compared to, to what they could have been. I'm curious what other sports you played growing up. Oh, I played baseball. I was lucky enough to represent team Manitoba. Wow. Um, at the thir- at 13 U nationals, I played four years of AAA and then, uh, I played every school sport. So badminton, um, school soccer, uh, uh basketball, volleyball. I was, uh, Good for middle school in Manitoba standards. <laughs> <laughs> was it a tough decision to kind of put that aside and focus completely on hockey when it came to that time, or do you still play? Uh, this is my first year not playing baseball. Okay. And and honestly, I I miss it a little bit. Like I'm excited to to get into a softball league or something, a slow pitch. It's going to be that's going to be a blast. But it never really was going to be a difficult decision. I always knew that hockey was going to be my first choice. Um, baseball is just kind of a nice, uh, nice change. Um, a lot of fun to play, uh, kind of just different than hockey. Kind of, you're more relaxed and then there's just kind of moments where it's all on you. Um, I enjoyed pitching. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think it was nice and I think it's extremely important for, 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 uh, kids to play multiple sports, not just kind of, uh, super focused from a young age, but obviously a time comes where you need to make a decision and, and that wasn't really difficult for me. Owen Pickering of the Swift Current Broncos, my guest here on the Pipeline Show in the 2022 Draft Spotlight segment. Let's turn our attention to the draft, uh, Owen. And uh, most people seem to have you pegged as a, uh, top, let's say, top 45 guy, a lot of them, in the first round. Are you a guy who uh, tries not to think about the draft at all during the course of the season? Uh, there are players who tell me that they actively see, want to see where people have them ranked and they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you? Uh, I'd say my teammates pay more attention to it. Um, I've had uh, screenshots sent to group chats, and uh, they uh, they try to keep my head small too. They'll be uh, asking me if if my name there is a typo, stuff like that. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I'd be lying to you if I told you I, I didn't pay attention to it at all. Uh, it's it's pretty cool, especially kind of near the start of the year when you've never really seen your name anywhere before. But um, I pay attention to some of them, I guess. Uh, I don't get preoccupied with it. Um, obviously, kind of uh, the real opinions that matter is is kind of July July seventh. Um, the the team themselves, but um, it's, it's pretty cool, and then you can use it as uh, as motivation and to get some feedback. But um, I, I don't get preoccupied with it. For those who haven't had a chance to watch you play, again, for those casual NHL fans who don't know where Swift Current is, uh, how would you describe yourself as a defenseman? Uh, a good skater. Uh, defenseman with offensive upside, uh, offensive skills. Um, good stick defensively. Uh, smart, can run a power play. Um, and can automatic. All right, 33 points this year. Nine of those were goals. When you're running the power play, are you more the setup guy, or do you think you have a a big shot that can uh, you know you you can be the trigger man too? Uh, I try to be uh, both. Um, I try to not kind of pigeonhole myself in uh, in one spot. 
Um, but I, uh, I do, uh, I do try shoot the pucks that opens lanes up to, to, uh, set up my teammates. So, uh, I try not to pigeonhole myself in one spot, but, um, I do like to shoot. It's a good year for a WHL defenseman uh, when it comes to the draft yourself, guys like Denton Matejchuk, who you would have played a lot against Kevin Korczynski, Matt Lindgren, uh, all in the WHL this year. I think you all played in the CHL top prospect game as well. Does that give you an opportunity to kind of assess yourself, compare yourself to those guys? Yeah, I'm cousins with Denton. Oh, you're cousins? I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I grew up with him. And yeah, the, the prospect scheme was good. Um, it was it was a ton of fun. Super cool experience. And yeah, it is. You kind of um, match up and then play with um, the top prospects and, and um, guys that, that you're competing against, but also they're, they're fun to be around. They're all great guys. and um, You hope for them to have success too, but uh, yeah, it was a cool experience, and uh, I just kind of get to know them. Not making the playoffs this year with the Broncos, uh, that, that obviously is a, that was the goal, but the silver lining is you get to go play uh, in Germany with uh, with Team Canada for the World U18. And now, really difficult task for you guys because of how late the season was pushed back. You were a team for all of six days before the actual drop of the puck. Uh, that That's uh, that's putting you behind the eight ball to uh, come together as a group, isn't it, for a tournament like that? Uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult not making any excuses, obviously, but, uh, you kind of found out you were going to Germany. Obviously there's rumblings, kind of a decent idea before, but, um, you kind of find out you're heading to Germany and then, uh, two days later you're practicing in mm-hmm. Germany and then you're playing, playing a day after that. So it was definitely a quick turnaround and, um, kind of going from a, from a super tight playoff race to, uh, to the world stage was, was cool, but also difficult. Um, so yeah, I, I do think um, we're maybe at a little bit of a disadvantage compared to uh, a team like the Americans, where they've been playing together for two years. But again, uh, not making any excuses, and, and we do feel like we could have had way better results than uh, what came of it. Nice that uh, you go over, you represent Canada, but you're also doing it with a bunch of buddies. There was a total of six Broncos on that team, which does not happen very often that there's that many guys from one club team uh, that get to go play. Uh, but that's got to be a cool experience to share together. It was extremely cool. Um, we were all kind of texting each other. We all found out, and uh, uh, it was it was super super special um, to be able to share with them. Uh, and again, you kind of head over there, and, and that makes um, that makes it easier. Honestly, uh, you're a little bit more comfortable uh, just being in the room. Uh, a little bit more, uh, kind of you feel at home a little more. Um, it, it was it was really cool, and, and I'm I'm super glad uh, I got to share with them, and it's something that we're uh, we're all not going to forget. Oh, and the draft is, uh, what, just under a couple of months away. What do you do between now and then? Uh, I'm heading to Buffalo for the Combine um, in just over a week here. And then uh, after that, it's just a waiting game of some interviews and stuff. But uh, get back June 4th uh, and then uh, heading to Montreal uh, for the draft July 7th and 8th. A Manitoba guy, does that mean the Jets were your team growing up? Or, uh, I mean, were they there when you were really young? I'm trying to remember when the Jets came relocated from Atlanta. 2011 they relocated so yeah i can only ever remember being a jets fan all right fair enough well owen listen i really really appreciate you uh doing this i know you're not feeling 100 percent, but I'll, I'll tell you right now one of the best uh interviews this uh, this season out of the draft class so uh, thank you for making time for the pipeline show this was uh this was fun for me yeah thank you so much i enjoyed it that was owen pickering and that is a terrific interview one of the, i think it was one of the best 2022 draft spotlight segments uh, in the class of 22. So great job 
uh, from Owen Pickering. Thanks to uh, you know toughing it out too. I mean, he I talked to him yesterday. He sounded awful. Uh, so I wasn't even sure if we'd be able to do it this week. I texted him and said, hey, if you want to push it to next week, no problem. He said, no, let's try it. So uh, I gave him a call, and fantastic, absolutely great. Uh, thanks to Craig Boschman uh, with the Broncos for uh, helping set that up. Really appreciate that. Now, I'm scheduled to speak with uh, Brent Sutter of the Red Deer Rebels, the owner, general manager. Uh, however, it is an awfully busy time here for uh for a WHL exec like that, as uh, the draft was just today, as I'm speaking with you now, it's a Thursday evening-ish, early evening, and the draft has uh, just wrapped up, so I imagine there are team functions and all that type of stuff, so I might not be able to speak with them tonight. So I'm hoping, maybe early on Friday, that may or may not actually happen, uh, fingers crossed that it does, but what I do have is a conversation I had with uh, WHL Commissioner Ron Robison. It happened last week during uh, the... Uh, one of the round two games against the Red Deer Rebels, Edmonton and Red Deer. Uh, he was in the building, and we had a conversation in, during one of the intermissions, which we aired, and I have the audio from that. I'm going to share it because it's not dated. It's not about the actual series uh, from 10 days ago. So that's the plan. When we come back, you're going to hear from Ron Robison, and fingers crossed that there'll be another segment after that one with Brent Sutter of the Red Deer Rebels. But uh, Ron Robison, the commissioner of the WHL, he's up next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. One, two, three, Penalty is over, and the planes four of them get out. Up at center and coming in is Lou. Hewendike centered it, and got scores! Lanny McDonald! Hey, it's Lanny McDonald, formerly of the Medicine Hat Tigers, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. This is the chopper! Welcome back to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky. Recently, I had a conversation with WHL Commissioner Ron Robison as he stopped by our broadcast booth. I think it was Game 2 when the Rebels and the Oil Kings were playing in the second round. Well, the conversation covers a lot of topics, and uh, it's not dated, so I figured uh, that the audience might enjoy hearing some of the uh, thoughts from the Commissioner, kind of a state of the union on the Western Hockey League, so... Without further ado, here's that conversation now. When the commissioner's in town, we gotta uh, <laughs> we got to put him on the hot seat. No, it's going to be a lot of softballs for you today. Ron Robinson, the commissioner of the WHL, uh, great to see you, Ron. And it's, isn't it great to have the playoffs uh, again? It is great to be here. Uh, thanks, Guy, very much, first of all, for having me. But, uh, yeah, we're so excited to be uh, 
now in the second round of playoffs, but to have playoffs back after uh, what we've been through, it's been uh, fantastic yeah. for everybody. Well, I, th I think the thing that stands out to me over the last, let's say, couple of years through all the COVID is just all I can think of is how much the ownerships uh, of all the teams have stepped up. I can't imagine the financial burden that they've had to go through and to get the fans back in the building. And Thank goodness, knock on wood, we're finally getting through this and on the other side of it. Maybe just touch on what the teams have had to go through, and especially the owners. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, first and foremost, everybody's been through an awful lot through the pandemic, and uh, our ownership have really stepped up and answered the bell, I think, last season when we knew it was important to give the players that development opportunity, even though we didn't have any ability to have anybody in the building, and yeah. there was no revenue for our clubs at all. Uh, that was a major hardship for the clubs, and it's nice now to see us back in the buildings this season, of having a full regular season and full playoffs, and, and seeing that fan base starting to come back is really encouraging. Uh, there's lots of work ahead of us, but uh, again, uh, everybody was so committed, ownership, the players, of course, and their development so important to everyone. It's uh, it's good that we're getting a full season in and everybody back playing. Full season and almost kind of back to normal. We didn't have any crossover between the two conferences this year. And I wonder if that was a cost-saving measure at, at all in some degree because these teams have really taken it in the wallet here and it's it's not cheap to, to well, travel in the WHL. It, it really wasn't as much that as it was really not uncertainty around all of the various restrictions in the various right. jurisdictions and, and what that was going to look like. And we just felt as we moved away, of course, during the pandemic, we had only divisional play. And then we decided to expand it to just right. conference play. And now next year we'll get back to normal with interconference. Okay. So, and again, the border crossings was the biggest challenge. And the, the BC teams went through a lot as the U.S. teams did this year, navigating through that in addition to the restrictions across the, the province which uh, finally were lifted and uh, we can get back to hopefully playing some normal hockey. All right, so next year we will see the conf conferences you will see over again? You will see full interlock conferencing next year, yeah. Do you know at this point whether the U.S. division comes to Alberta or Alberta <laughs> goes to the U.S.? We'll wait till see about that, but okay. uh, we'll, uh, it's, uh, we're working on our schedule right now. We'll be announcing things real soon. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, the, the current uh, financial stability of the league right now, not just the uh, the league office, but, I mean, all the franchises. Is everybody okay, or do you have some concerns right well, now? Well, it was a very difficult year, a very for challenging sure. period of time uh, for the clubs. Uh, uh, you know, you rely heavily on ticket revenue and sponsorship revenue in the community, and, and that just wasn't there. And so, consequently, this year is really a recovery year. It's going to take several years for us to really get back to where we need to get back okay. to and, and balance the uh, – uh, the, uh, the the balance sheet, if you will, at the end of the day. But I think, uh, you know, our clubs are, again, you mentioned it earlier, Guy, they're so committed to uh, their programs and their communities that uh, they'll find a way through all of this. Uh, I'm wondering about the CHL import draft. I don't know if a final decision's been made on that. I know we've heard that Russians and the Belarusians may be excluded. Uh, is that confirmed? Do we know that? It is confirmed. We announced that. The Canadian Hockey League announced that just recently. Okay. All right. Well, it, I, I guess... We're living in such an it, it is it's, it is it is very unusual and it's, it's very difficult to circumstances and not something we want to do but under the current situation uh, really it's going to come down to it's going to be extremely difficult to envision how those players would get visas to enter the country next right. year and of course all of the things that are going on the challenges that those uh, those players have uh, with families and so forth back home it was uh, it was a decision we just felt that uh, needed to be made under the circumstances. What does that mean for the players who are already in the league? We will be giving them the option to stay over the summer months and to train here uh, in preparation for next season. So those players who have committed to the Canadian Hockey League are entitled to stay if those teams are uh, planning to have them on their rosters next year and they choose to stay. And uh, so those players have been given the option whether they want to stay here this summer or, or go back uh, home. And uh, it's been probably about a 50-50 proposition right now. Okay. 
I know <laughs> it, it wasn't that long ago when the CHL decided to stop with the import goaltenders, and that's been brought back. Has, in your opinion, has that been a, a success? I've always liked having the import goalie option at least. Absolutely. I think the Canadian Hockey League is all about the best players, and we yeah. want to get uh, uh, those players uh, from other countries in this uh, in our system to help our Canadian players develop, and, uh, and uh, from time to time, you know, key positions like goaltending obviously is important for clubs, and we've got very good import goaltenders in our league, and we're very pleased yeah. about that. Uh, the Canada-Russia series always in the fall. Big event for Hockey Canada to evaluate their talent getting uh, set for the World Junior Championship. I always like it as a showcase for the WHL and the O and the Q as well. Any plans on how to replace that next year? If obviously the Russians won't yeah, be involved. Yeah, we're still evaluating. Quite honestly, before we made the decision to to cancel the series uh, next year, uh, due to the circumstances, um, uh, we felt that we really needed to have a, a new, fresh look of CHL special events. So I think you're going to see some new things on the horizon. Okay. Uh, that is something we're working on now and uh, going into next season, probably uh, more so for the 23-24 season. You'll, you'll uh, but. Uh, we're looking at, uh, at some some new opportunities and some uh, maybe a fresh look for the Canadian Hockey League in the future. Interesting. Nothing that you can uh, let out of the bag right now. Not right now. I think that we've got a number of concepts that we're considering, and there's uh, there's okay. lots on the table. We're fortunate. We've got a new full-time CHL president, Dan McKenzie, and really the strategic plan for that organization is in his hands now. Okay. Uh, I know one the idea I had for the CHL uh, or the uh, Canada Russia series instead of playing the Russians would be to play. You know, you've got your WHL representatives of uh, the Canadians uh, all coming from uh, the WHL. Have them play the uh, Europeans and the Americans that are inside the WHL. So you kind of have the Canada against the world, but it's still WHL talent on the ice. There's there's lots of those options, of course, and uh, I think that, you know, we're considering many of those and uh, trying to find things that are going to be obviously good for the players, good from an evaluation perspective for them. We believed, as we did with the Canada-Russia series, anytime we're going to bring our best players together, it better have some real, true, meaningful event. Right. And, and uh, we got away from all-star concepts, and we brought the Canada-Russia series, I think, which served its purpose uh, for many years. And now we're going to look at some new things, which I think if anytime we're bringing it together, we want to make sure that it's a it's a great experience for the players involved. Well, what else do you have on uh, tap here in the offseason for the uh, Western <coughs> Hockey League is uh, where we get back to much closer to normal I think you know we're just trying to uh, help the clubs rebuild and and uh, recover from a very difficult period of time and and we're excited about that so there'll be a lot of focus on selling season tickets over the summer and trying to get uh, back to levels where we need to be in, in all markets uh, some have shown real encouraging signs others are having a little bit more challenges and uh, I think that's natural anytime you've been away from it this long and mm-hmm. and it's going to take people a little bit more a little more time to be comfortable coming back to our ranks but those that are coming back are really enjoying themselves and having lots of fun we've got the WHL draft coming up again as well though where are you holding that is it all in one place or it's, is it all remotely now it's like coming up real quick 18th 19th of May We've got uh, both our uh, our U.S. Uh, priority draft right. as well as our, of course, our, our uh, prospects draft itself, and so those are really two important dates on our calendar for our teams. And and um, you know, having two drafts this year has been really unusual, but was the right thing to do for the players in the 06 age category for sure. So we're on to the 07s, uh, real coming up real soon here, and uh, should be very interesting. Now it's only been two of those the American prospect drafts so far. We might not have seen the fruition of that uh, d- the fruits of the labor just yet but why did you decide to go that that route uh, to try to give a little bit more uh, uh, spotlight to the American content that, that that could potentially come to the WHL and uh, how have you felt it's it's 
yeah, worked so far? I think that uh, it's a work in progress. I yep. think it's going to it's going to come. There's going to be a lot more attention placed on it year after year. And I think we've you know, obviously there's a, a large territory, a lot of players of south of the border that we're very interested in and continuing to pursue. So we wanted to make sure that there was lots of attention around that draft. And and uh, we're finding there's no question about that. Anytime we're drafting players at that age, there's lots of attention. So it won't take away at all. We don't believe from our prospects draft, our main draft, but it gives us a opportunity to really identify those players that we think are real good prospects for our league and uh, and hopefully convince them to play in the Western Hockey League soon. Well, I, I'm a big fan of the WHL, obviously. I think it produces uh, the, the best NHL talent. we got the 2022 NHL draft coming up in July, and next year's NHL draft, man, it's going to be a banner year for the Dub, isn't it? It is going to be two real good drafts for us, for sure. We're really excited about it, and uh, credit to the teams in our league who do such a great job in developing these players. Uh, you know, talking to young prospects and their families who are considering, yeah. you know, the Western Hockey League. And one thing we can guarantee is that when you come to this league, you won't be disappointed. Uh, you got a first-class education scholarship program, as we all know. But I think when you look at the level of competition and playing with the top players in your age group, uh, it's hard to beat this league, that's for sure. Ron, I really appreciate you stopping by. Enjoy the rest of this game and the rest of the WHL playoffs. Thanks very much, Keith. Appreciate it. All right, that was Ron Robison, the WHL's commissioner, and uh, his thoughts on a variety of different subjects there, a conversation I had with him about 10 days ago at this point. All right, we got one more segment to go, and indeed, I did track down Brent Sutter, the owner and general manager, former coach of the Red Deer Rebels. We will close out this week's episode with that conversation next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is Landon Furrer of the Red Deer Rebels. Hi, I'm Connor Bleakley. This is Matt Dumba. Hey, it's Adam Uslo. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Hey, this is Grayson Polinchuk. Hey, this is Brandon Sutter. It's Hayden Flurry. Hi, I'm Alex Petrovic. Hi, it's Brent Sutter of the Red Deer Rebels, head coach, general manager, and owner. You are listening to The Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Prepare to be knocked on your ass. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We're going to end this week's episode in, uh, I couldn't think of a better guest uh, to close things out this week as we're joined by the owner and general manager, and uh, I'm not sure how many other titles you currently have, uh, Brent Sutter of the Red Deer Rebels. Uh, Brent, thanks for doing this. How are things? Everything's good, Guy. Thanks. Well, I appreciate you making time. I know it's been a busy week uh, because just had the WHL Bantam draft. Uh, maybe we'll just start with that. And I know, I guess the easy way to describe it is I'm sure you were surprised that the guy you got at every round was available for you and you're excited to add him to the organization. Exactly. And like <laughs> the 21 other teams are all saying the same thing today. Couldn't <laughs> believe he was still there. Yeah. <laughs> how difficult or how challenging was this year's uh, uh, draft class? Well, I, I think the challenging part this year was the fact that we had just finished having 
you know, the draft in December too. And then, then you're having this draft. So it was hard on your scouting staff because they were having to, you know, focus in on the, on the draft in December. And then as soon as that was over, they were, then they had to get this draft going or the players in this draft. So, you know, it was uh, it was a tough year, certainly on that part, but we all knew going into it, that's the way it was going to be. And the scouts, so I think on every team were prepared for it. And, uh, I, you know, I think I'm sure everybody's glad it's over with. Now we can get back to some normalcy and moving forward where you have one draft for the full year. This year was a bit more normal compared to like the draft we had and we saw in December where you're selecting players who barely played the previous season, right? So it was much more normal this year. Yeah, it was, you know, this year just, you just missed last probably, you know, through the fall and up till our draft in December, you didn't see the players play this much uh, we're in this year's draft because you're so focused on the other one. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, now you got the, you know, like the, the other, you know, the, I guess the best way to phrase it, the, the provinces you're in tournaments, uh, you were able to, now it's back to normal again. So you're able to, you know, see all that and get that all going and, uh, um, as far as they were, the branches were able to get it going. So it allowed our scouts then to go and focus in on at the end of the year too, when you have the BC best ever and the Alberta cup and so forth in Saskatchewan, Manitoba. So you're able to see all the top kids at the end of the year, which was good for all our scouts. Brent Sutter, the GM of the Red Deer Rebels, my guest. Uh, we're going to put a uh, a bow on the season that was for the uh, the Rebels, and uh, I don't know what your expectations were for your team at the start of the year. If I had told you in September you were going to have a 45-win season, would you have believed it? I was, yeah. You know what? I, I really felt that we had a really good team. Um, you know, it, uh, uh, we went through the experience last year of, you know, you can't measure anything on 24 games and, the way the living quarters were on for teams and how you had to go about it to be in the bubble. And you can't measure your team on that. And I really felt coming back this year that uh, we would have a good team. We made some key acquisitions at uh, last spring and last summer um, that really, we really felt would help us. And, um, and it did. Uh, our goaltending was uh, very good for us. Uh, uh, I thought our coaching staff did a great job of uh, right from the first day of training camp right through. And so the regular season wasn't something that I was really surprised by. I, I knew that our series with Brandon would be a real tough series. The, Brandon had a lot of injuries this year, and if they were healthy for the whole year, they would have been right with us in the standings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was two teams that first round that were pretty even, and it was a heck of a series. To be quite honest, it's probably some of the best hockey I've seen in a long time in, at, in, in major junior hockey as far as those games, how those games were played. I mean, the refs let them play. It was a real physical, hard series. It was really tight playoff type hockey. And then we went up against Edmonton. I guess that I, I just I pulled Mark Edmonton. Obviously, they're a great team, and they they traded for some really good players, and uh, they obviously have some top, top-end skill on their team, um, and they can play it any way you want to play it. But I just didn't think that we got to our level that we played against Brandon. We, I thought our level dropped off. So I, the Edmonton series was disappointed disappointing for me i just felt like we could have made it a better series if we played to the level we need to play at and as far as not so much just as far as some how some individuals needed to play especially some of our top players so it was uh, that part was that there was an inning to our season that was disappointing that was it um you know i'm not saying we would have beat everton but i thought we could have 
made it into a six, seven game series and you never know when it gets to that point. But we just, uh, you know, we just didn't play well enough in certain areas and our specialty teams hurt us. And, uh, and it, uh, and I guess the outcome is what we got, we deserved. Well, I go back to the start of the season and conversation I had with Troy Gillard, uh, the voice of the Rebels. I don't know if he was, it was when he was on my show or if I was doing intermission uh, on a Rebels broadcast. But the the, the uh, description I used for Red Deer at the start of the season was I, I thought your team would be sneaky good. And I think I was right in one sense because you were good. I don't know how long you, it was before uh, you were surprising anybody, though, because you were good right from the start of the season. You mentioned last year in the 24 games in the in the spring of 2021 that the living conditions, I mean, you were staying, your whole club was uh, living at the Centrium. Going through all of that experience together as a group, and you had a young team last year, do you think that battle-hardened everybody and got them prepared for this year in a way that a lot of other teams maybe weren't? Well, maybe perhaps. I, you know, I thought the first five or six weeks of that experience was great. I thought a couple play on the ice was really good. Uh, I just a lot of good things, just the camaraderie inside the facility and having to live right in there, everything was good, but it just be long after a period of time, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you're week seven, week eight, week nine, week 10, week 11, week 12. And I thought it affected us on the ice. Um, you know, the kids couldn't go anywhere. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a long 11, 12 weeks. And, uh, um, you know, obviously no normalcy to it whatsoever, but, the kids handled the best they could, um, but there was no way when that 24 games was over, from my perspective as a manager, that I was going to sit there and evaluate our team and say, uh, and see, okay, well, these are, you know, this is how we're going to start next season. My my thing is I knew we had the, the personnel. I knew there was two or three areas that we needed to improve in, and we were able to do that And before the season started with some with you know just with some acquisitions that we made so i felt really good with our team and how we need to play and of course new coaching staff comes in and they you know they got to get the players to to buy in on things and the players made those adjustments and by the first of november we were uh we were on our way mm-hmm. and uh and i thought we you know from then on it could really start seeing our game come together and how we wanted to play and um, and how individuals need to play. You know, you look at Baines and King. I mean, they finished one, two in scoring. King won the King won the goals. You know, most goals in the league at fifty some goals wherever he scored. And Baines, he wins the scoring race, and they finished one, two in the scoring race. And but really, they didn't really get playing until no, like to the level they needed to start playing at was in November. Mm-hmm. And uh, because there was still an adjustment period for them with the new coach and everything that right and. Uh, and, you know, and I thought they, you know, once November came, obviously they were a dynamite duel for us on our top line. And uh, a lot of nights, you know, they put the team on their backs and carried them. But because we were so young with a lot of other young players, because we had a lot of players 16 to 17 years of age in the bubble the year before. So these kids were experiencing really the reality of what our league is and stuff by traveling, uh, being in other buildings, uh having meals on the road, having to sleep on the road, um, you know, stuff like that. It's just stuff you got to get accustomed to. And so they, some of these kids were just going through it for the first time, right? Whereas the year before, there was no, no, it wasn't even close, right? right. So just all those parameters. So it was, uh, 
it was a great experience, but I really felt come to this into this season that we'd have a really good team and with the acquisitions we made and and we made a, you know, getting Jackson Bandelist at the trade deadline was a was a huge acquisition for us too to help our back end and and our goaltending for the most part, you know, they split it pretty well all year, right? And uh and to have a dual tandem like that, they were both uh they both played really well. Well, you said you didn't want to uh, assess or evaluate your players during that 24-game uh, season last year, uh, but you, you uh, fired the coach uh, midway through. Or, uh, was that an easy decision for you to, to remove yourself from the bench and uh, moving forward to getting Steve Konowalczyk? I mean, the proof is in the pudding, what a year you guys had. But was it a difficult choice for you to move away from the bench? Because I know coaches want to coach. Well, you know what? It, you know, I, I, I thought about the, the summer before. And but with the experience that we were going to have to go through, I just didn't think it was fair for new coaching staff to come in mm. to to go through that. And uh, and so I, you know, I felt that you know that I would just get through it, and I would uh, look into it, you know, this 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 past, you know, when the year was over and uh, uh, last summer. And but I, you know, we got to, I don't know how many games were left, maybe ten or something like that. I forget what it was. And uh, you know, I just felt, you know, it's getting to be like week seven in this. Mm-hmm. And you could tell the kids were, um, I don't know, it just seemed like it was a draining, starting to drain on them as far as our, the whole situation, of, as far as our our environment we were in. And uh, and I just felt that, you know what, if I'm going to be doing this at the end of the year, why wouldn't I... Uh, step aside now I can move forward and do the things that I felt I need to do as a general manager I wanted to get to some things down into the states and see uh do some things because the whole COVID thing you had to be careful right like I couldn't leave the bubble yeah yeah I could I couldn't go out and be a GM and go watch other hockey down in the states or whatever right because I'm in the bubble so you couldn't fly in and fly back so you know I just felt you know what for me to get out and do the things I need to do uh, as a general manager that and if I'm going to make this decision in the summer, I'll let Sean come in, who's right here at the rank two and part of the bubble, and and he's my you know associate GM. Um, let him work with the kids with and rest the coaching staff, and I can go out and do the things I need to do. And that's really how it all materialized, right? And Sean could see a different view on evaluating the team too, like I like I have been doing for you know, 15 plus or 20 years, whatever it's been. So, uh, you know, so it, it was just the timing of it all just made a lot more sense. And then the whole coaching hiring thing, it was, uh, it was a long process. Like Sean and I and son Merrick, we had a, uh, who's my senior VP. We had a, we started with a list of guys and uh, we went through a process. And then when Steve, when, de- when Steve decided uh, he wanted to uh, come back to coaching, uh, he'd been a pro scout for the Rangers for three years, and uh, you know, I, I just said, well, I'm, I'm going to focus my attention on him, and uh, and move forward with that, and uh, and it worked out really well. And him and I see the game a lot the same. We expect this basically the same thing from our players, the accountability, and how we expect them to play. And I thought the connection between uh, the coaching staff and the management was uh, was outstanding. Brent, you mentioned uh, Arshdeep Baines, who had a terrific season and ended up being the, the league's top scorer. Undrafted player, a guy you listed. He played full five full seasons in the WHL, ends up with an NHL contract with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, what a, It's just a great story, isn't it? Yeah. 
you know what it, it 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 almost you know it makes me emotional because it's mm. uh when you have those kids there for so long with you and you see them you see the progress progression that they make in the development and when Benji first came is a real shy you know not very strong kid but very shy and uh, wouldn't say two words right and uh and uh he's one of those kids that when you talk to him he looked at your shoelaces you know he would never <laughs> eye contact just because he was he was a shy personality type type player and person and then you know he just grew and grew and the turning point for him was after his 17 year old season and he decided one time he's going to go home and take boxing lessons hmm. and it changed his personality. Like he, when he looked at you, he looked in the eye. Uh, he was, uh, you could tell he was just growing up. He felt more com- confident and being comfortable being, be going into the battle level on the ice and being competitive in the corners and winning those one-on-one battles. And then he came back in year old really started the show. And, uh, and then 19 year old season, it was, uh, you know, he had a pretty good, pretty good year in the bubble there. And then, um, and I wasn't surprised. I, Hey, I told Intel scouts that RC Sainz and Ben King would be in the top of our scoring and Ben King would lead our league in goal. And that's exactly what happened. Hmm. So, um, you know, and Benji, uh, you know, it was awesome. They would get a lot of interest from some NHL teams. Um, and, uh, then Vancouver, you know, really started pushing hard at a certain point. And, uh, you know, and here he is. He's going home to play, you know, in Abbotsford. is just down the road from where he lives in the American hockey team. And, uh, you know, being a South Asian boy, he's, uh, you know, in the population in that area. Um, you know, it's just, it's uh, really, truly is, is a fantastic story, the whole, how it all started and where it's ended up to be. And uh, Ben King not drafted yet either, and I I expect that will change here in early July with the 2022 NHL draft. Another guy who isn't drafted either, but getting Christopher Setoff back I thought was huge for your club this year, and what a difference, you know, that uh, he gets to go home last year and play some pro hockey, and he just looked like a different player. I thought he had a terrific season for you. Oh, he did, you know, and he was with us as a 17-year-old. He was playing, he was our best defenseman as a 17-year-old, and he was playing against other teams' top players, like yeah. against 19 19- and you know and uh you know he handled himself very very well through all that and then and of course in the year of covid and we were in the bubble he couldn't come over he had to he was playing pro hockey there and you know and we thought it would be best for him just to stay there instead of coming into this environment and you know only playing 24 games and uh so he did he stayed there and played and then with all the intentions of wanting to coming back this year the 19 year old if things open up in our you know, with the visas and with their governments and stuff like that. So he, uh, he came back, but you know, he was, it wasn't surprising at all for us to see him play like he did. And, you know, after having the years of 17 year old been playing in Finland as a professional player as his 18 year old year. So we weren't surprised to come back and be a top defenseman in our league. And he certainly played like that. All right, before I let you go, I got to pick your brain, uh, your unbiased brain now as we get to the conference finals. Uh, do you do you tune everything out now or are you are you going to be watching Winnipeg and Edmonton and if so, what are you expecting from this series? You mean Calgary and Edmonton? No, I mean Winnipeg and Edmonton in the WHL conference finals. Oh, I thought you meant the Flames and Oilers. <laughs> no. Nope. Yeah, no, no, it's Winnipeg and Edmonton absolutely. I mean, it's uh, you know, the, you look at those two teams, you know, at the end of the day, you have the, you know, 
two teams that from points wise are the best teams in this conference. And you have the, you know, and you have Seattle who's got a really good team too. And Kamloops who had a great team. So you got four very, very good hockey teams playing each other. I'm expecting this Edmonton, Edmonton Winnipeg series to, uh, to be a six or seven game series. If it isn't, it'll be a shocker um, because both teams are obviously outstanding teams, but you know, Edmonton can play any way you want to play. Um, you know, Winnipeg's top end skill and they, they're a fast team and uh, Edmonton's going to have to play a, a heavier game against them. Um, but uh, I really think that uh, it'll be a great series. I'm not going to predict who's going to win <laughs> at the end of the day. You know, two very, very good teams that are, uh, are going to play and it's going to be a hell of a series. Great stuff, Brent. I guess maybe I'll get your thoughts on the, uh, the NHL Battle of Alberta. Uh, we've already seen one game. Game two goes here tonight. Uh, what are your thoughts on that series? I know you're you're probably pulling for your brother, aren't you? Well, how do you not? Right? Yeah. And uh, uh, yet, I think at the end of the day, it's just fantastic for our province. Uh, we've gone through some tough times here in the last five or six years in our province with just the economy and everything happening, and then COVID and and coming back, and you see the excitement that just not in both cities, but in the surrounding areas, been excitement. We I just can say just in Red Deer is is through the roof with this and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exciting, right? So, you know, when you look at game one, no one <laughs> would have ever predicted a game one to go that way. But that's what happens. You gotta you've always gotta think of the unpredictable things gonna happen. When especially in game one, and that's exactly what happened. Like who would ever thought there'd be fifteen goals scored and yeah. whoever thought one would have a five goal lead and or a four goal lead twice and, and lose the lead and um and it's just like and the goalies, you know, very good goaltending and uh, the teams have had in playoffs and all of a sudden goaltending crashes in game one. So, yeah. you know, but you've got to expect more normalcy tonight um, to get more into that playoff mode. And uh, and I don't see this being a, a 9-6 game every night these teams are playing. I think things will tighten up some. And um, But it's exciting. It's great for the fans and it's great for our province. It's great for hockey. Um you know, and it brings excitement back, and I think it's awesome. And the bottom line is, we all know there's going to be one Canadian team that's going to the semifinals. So that's uh, it's either going to be Edmonton or Calgary. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, we'll take it, Brent. As always, I really appreciate when you make time for the Pipeline Show. Uh, enjoy the off season if you have an off season. I know you got lots of other stuff to do away from hockey as well. Uh, but thanks for doing this. Yep, thanks, bud. Talk to you. Talk to you indeed. There, there is Brent Sutter of the Red Deer Rebels. Uh, glad I was able to uh, track him down. I was supposed to have that conversation on Wednesday, but as I uh, called him, there was no answer. He texted me back later apologizing. said, I was out hauling bulls. Hauling bulls. Classic Sutter. Then the next day, the, <laughs> the WHL draft, and uh, finally able to track him down on Friday morning just in time to get it into uh, this week's episode. And that will do it for this week's episode. Absolutely loaded show, but we're going to wrap this one up quick because the first game between the WHL's Winnipeg Ice and the Edmonton Oil Kings, the number one and number two ranked teams in the entire Canadian Hockey League, gets going in a matter of hours. And I don't want to miss that. And then after that, of course, you got Seattle against Kamloops. And there's that whole Battle of Alberta thing happening at the NHL level as well next week on the pipeline show gonna look at the centennial cup that's happening in estevan saskatchewan oil kings and the winnipeg ice will be playing three times scheduled to play games 
three, four, and five on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday next week. So it's going to be very busy, actually. I will try to get the uh, the show out in a timely fashion. It might be a shorter show, so that I can do that. But I know we'll be talking Centennial Cup. Obviously, we'll have uh, WHL updates as well. And keep our eyes on what's happening in the OHL, the Q, the North American Hockey League, and the USHL's Clark Cup could be wrapped up by then, too. Between now and then, get out and watch some junior or college hockey if you get the chance. It's playoff time. We'll chat about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. My name's Keith Flaming. See ya.